Welcome. You are listening to me, Henrik. I have started a podcast called The Honest Podcast that tells people how to live their lives based on my innate common sense and decades of doing the wrong thing twice. Together with a constantly changing panel of friends and other self-proclaimed experts, The Honest Podcast discusses interesting topics every month with brutal honesty and a lot of sarcasm. I hope you have fun listening to the podcast, maybe even get inspired, but I'll be very sad if you actually learn something. Enjoy. This is the first episode of The Honest Podcast, and let me start off by saying that I know nothing about podcasting, so please lower your expectations to the absolute minimum. Are you ready? Let's begin. I was born and raised in Copenhagen in the wonderful, tiny country of Denmark. But today I live in Portugal, and this podcast is being recorded from my new home one hour south of Lisbon. I moved here three years ago after spending many years in Asia, US, and Europe to settle down, have a family, spend more time in nature, and get out of that fast-paced city life that had dominated most of my adulthood. Like me, more and more people are moving to Portugal. People from all over the world are visiting Portugal, buying second homes or hearing the buzz about Lisbon. Now, why is that? Why has Portugal become the hot new destination these days? And are you wondering if this place is for you? Well, if so, you will find all the answers on this episode of the Honest Podcast, because today we talk about Portugal. And to help me, I have a panel of goofballs that may or may not have anything intelligent to say. And we're jumping in right when we're about to introduce the panel. Enjoy. Let me welcome you, Matt Dickinson, also known as Dicky. Hello, Henrik. <laughs> you are Canadian and one of the few, if not the only Canadian living in Portugal. I have not met any other Canadians. Uh, and you are also a pioneer in the Portuguese cannabis industry, which is super interesting as I am also into vegetation myself. And welcome to you, Julian Johnson. Yeah, if you're wondering, that name is not from a 60s porn movie. It is actually his real name. But might most people like me well. call him Jules, but you might see him on newsletter signups as John Julianson. That's the one. That's the one. And Jules is from Kenya or Kenya, as he pronounces it. But he has started a fund in Portugal that helps people invest in Portugal and move to Portugal. And we're also going to talk about that later on the podcast. And finally, welcome to the guest of honor, David Moro. Guest of honor? Guest of honor, because Thanks. he is the only Portuguese out of all of us. And since we're talking about Portugal, it wouldn't be right if we have someone to tell us right from wrong and challenge us foreigners' opinion about your beloved home country. So David works for a company called Teen Advisors, helps foreigners find houses all over the world, but in particular, Portugal. And he returned to Portugal some years ago after spending how many years in Brazil? Altogether, yeah. 17 years. Recently, this time, seven years with my wife and my kids. So I've been back for the past five years. All right, guys. So let's begin. My first question is actually to you, David. So you're Portuguese. Right. So uh, And you're a man. I think so, yeah. <laughs> and your name is not João, Miguel, or Pedro. How yeah. is that possible? Oh, no, no. Or Nunu. How is that possible? Please explain. 
So, well, first of all, thanks, Hendrik. I think this is a great initiative. Thank you for putting this up. And uh, you've, you've, you've come here with a great crowd to back you up. So yes, I'm, I'm Portuguese, but my great grandfather, he came actually from England to set up the trolleys here in Portugal. Oh, yeah. So I've got a British passport. I'm a, a what do you call a British subject. So that's why my name is David. So a ah, little inside secrets right. that most of you did not know, but so I was born in Lisbon, but when I was one year old, I went to, with a revolution in Portugal in 74, me and like many other families in Portugal, we fled to Brazil in 74 and I stayed there for 10 years. So the first 10 years that I lived in Sao Paulo was from a release 74 to 83. Then I came back to Portugal. I lived here for seven years and I was really also tired of being in Portugal at the time. So I convinced my parents to pay for my studies in San Diego, in California, where I went when I was 17. I lived there for six years. So when I was, uh, again, 24, I came back to Portugal. I opened up my company and I had my own companies here for 13 years until everything crashed in 2008. I had a branding company. I worked a lot with banks. Went back to Sao Paulo, which is my passionate country, which I love. I lived there for seven years and I've been back here for the past five years. Yeah, actually, so that gives us a good insight because that means that you have seen Portugal at many stages. Right. Because for us foreigners and people coming to the country, we've been here for, you know, maybe a handful of years and only seen what's going on maybe uh, in the last decade or so. But you've seen it like going way back. So maybe tell us a little bit about how it was in the early, early days of Portugal. Why did people escape Portugal? And uh, what happened in the years after? And can you tell us a little bit about how it was back then? Sure. So uh, it's like Portugal for many years, we had a dictator here called Salazar. So we didn't have uh, even Coca-Cola here for many years. And uh, so it was a little bit of, of a closed society. So what I always, always think and say, I, I love the, the Portuguese and I think the Portuguese that migrated. Because when we look back 500 years ago, you know, always the, the people that went abroad, I realized the Portuguese that went abroad were the ones that, that conquered and made, they became great, great people, you know, and the people that stayed here were the ones that usually were used to having everything back from the colonies. So they're Portuguese that are very accommodated to their lives because they were always used from the families and getting all this money in and not needing to move their asses. So it's really weird because like Portugal is considered one of the less productive countries in Europe, but then you can go to countries like Luxembourg, which is one of the most productive countries in Europe, but like 60 or 70% of the population is Portuguese. So it's like a really weird situation. So. The thing is, I really respect that the Portuguese that have migrated or the conquerors that really conquered the world and they discovered the world, but they were also part of the society which stayed here. So I see that from my view here in Portugal, you always have both sides of the society. Your earliest memories, like back from when you were a kid, like, was it extremely poor? I could compare it because my first 10 years of life, I was really in Sao Paulo. Yeah. I can see when I came over for vacation. Yeah. I could not compare it to poor because I was coming from Sao Paulo. So when I came to Lisbon, it was like a very civilized city. And okay. uh, so for me, I was not coming from another big European capital. No. So I could not do that comparison. But yes, I could always see that uh, Lisbon, my memories were, came always to Campo de Urique, which is a very famous neighborhood where my grandmother lived and I stayed there. And it's funny how it was always a very, like a little town. She had a bill where we paid for things monthly. And uh, the, the people used to bring bread to the house. 
used to bring milk to the house, but uh, it was just, just the way things were at the time. Was he a dictator, uh, an accountant? No, he was an economist. He yes. was an economist. Okay. Yes. Do you know yes. that, right? The university. Yeah. Yes, he was an economist. Do you know how he died? No. He fell off the chair. Yeah. yeah. He fell off the chair. He fell off the chair. It was a very tall chair. Yeah. Yeah. And he was a very small guy. Very small guy. No, it was a heart attack, right? He fell off uh, the no, chair. No, he fell off the chair because it, it, the, the way it closed, and then, and then he, he fell off and he had a. You know, like, you know, yeah. imagine like laughing at somebody falling over on the chair backwards and then you realize he's just died. Like parents yeah. usually tell their kids when you're always playing with the chair, you know, when you're being brought up, a kid don't yeah, remember oh, always Salazar died because he was playing Dude, in the chair. This was in the 70s, something. When was it again? Uh, what happens of from the seventies, chairs, seventies until like 2010 or 2013, like that whole period, of course, we don't know much about, but. Like what happened in Portugal up until that point, because it feels that Portugal didn't really start accelerating before like 10 years ago. So until that point, right. you know, it was still somewhat of a hidden down in the bottom left corner of Europe and right. the Algarve coast with a lot of British tourists, sure. but, but most people didn't really explore Porto and Lisbon and that whole area, or at least I didn't hear about it. Portugal was never really on the map. I went to Tallinn twice. And I didn't come to Portugal. Yeah. How is that? Even all the Brazilians, they come to Europe, but they don't come to Portugal. They go to Paris, you know? So I think it's that Portugal, it's funny because like when we came back from Brazil in, in 83, like we were just about to go into join the European community. That was going to be a big life changer. And we really joined and things started to get a little bit better, but it didn't make that much of a change, you know? And one story I, I like to reflect on it. When I came back from Brazil, I went to have a breakfast with Pedro Lencastre. He was like, David, you know, it's funny. We're 13, 14 year olds. We're kids here and we're always complaining because part of our cultural Portuguese people, we're always complaining. And we say, yeah, you know, our country sucks. It doesn't have this. It doesn't have that. And a big change started happening to the city. You know, all these old buildings and Avenida de Liberdade and, and all these problematic buildings suddenly starts flourishing and the city starts becoming more and more beautiful. Money starts coming in. The government is very smart in the way they create the Golden Visa program, the NHR program, and several other programs. So the government was really, really smart in the sense, but we don't even communicate this properly, you know, because we, we think, you know, this is normal of our country, but they did a really fantastic job. So this made all the change. Yeah, I remember when I first came here in 2016 and I was being, you know, shown different buildings. I was shown vast buildings. I mean, one of the first buildings I walked into, I fell through the floor. Luckily, I got like a piece of woodwork <laughs> between my groin and I didn't actually fall 20 feet into the basement. But that was the sort of standard of the buildings, right? And they were right, right off like the, the Champs-Élysées of equivalent of Lisbon. And these buildings were selling for like, and this was only, this was only what, uh, six years ago, for uh, 2,000 euros a square meter. Like massive, beautiful buildings. In the center of In the center of the city. Right. But the challenge was, and this is where like, I think it's been brilliant what they've done with that law. I just wish that sort of forward thinking could be maybe more aggressively and dynamically applied as it relates to planning consent. The big issue has been that a lot of us have come in, you know, and I came in and, and bought a piece of land and, and developed a building as a concept. And I, I wanted to like renovate all of these old buildings. We're so restricted by building code which in some ways is wonderful because it maintains the vernacular, but in other ways is so restrictive. Two of my projects, one of them taking four years for approval, the other taking three years for approval. It's this weird experience of Portuguese culture where some of sure. the stuff is so forward thinking, like with what Dickie's doing around cannabis and like drug legalization here has meant that like 
drug crime-related recidivism rates have been the lowest in the world. There's so much forward thinking. And yet at the same time, there's this kind of, this is the way it was done. This is the way it will be done. And that's that. I got off a plane the other day from Marrakesh and it took me longer to get through customs than it took me to fly from Marrakesh to Lisbon. That's amazing. (laughs) And there was one customs agent in a booth for a line that would have had 400 people in it. It, Really? And this was at 3 p.m. on a Monday. Diggy and Jules, so why did you guys move here? So I've had a software company in London that I had sold and I'd been traveling around the world for two years being uh, a bit of a bum, sort of an unintentional bum, looking for like the next thing and wanting to, to live somewhere, you know, that I sort of encompassed everything. And I've been to over 60 countries now around the world and never once thought go to Portugal. A bit like you, Dickie, going to Tallinn twice. I never once thought to go to Portugal. Right. But then in 2016, I was invited, instead of going to the Bern one year, Roman was like, you know, come to this place called Comporta. I'd never heard of. There was this, this wonderful feeling here of it not being in the rat race. Right. There wasn't this like culture of... How can you be the biggest, the fastest, the best, the richest? How can you buy more stuff? Buy, buy, buy. None of that existed. It was this beautiful kind of throwback to the 1980s. And then when I looked at the, so the, the couple of things, the cost of living here was extraordinary relative to everywhere else, which meant that the majority of your, your capital could be deployed in one of the things I find fun, investing in, in companies rather than investing in your rent. And we have a ton of sunshine. You know, we have the second most sunshine in Europe after Marseille. The weather here is fantastic. The food chain is super clean. The airport's 15 minutes from the center of town. It's like, this is great. And so, yeah, moved here in 2016. I had sold everything in London, bought a piece of property in, in the center of Lisbon, developed that concept, and then, you know, went from there. And then just seeing this beautiful influx of yeah. wicked humans. Just a little comment on what you said a little bit before, because I think that's really the, the thing that's taking two or three years or four years maybe to develop a project here has really hold the country back. In terms of investment, so a lot of people that come back and say, "Oh, David, is there a bubble here?" Is there a... I'd say it's not because it's so frustrating for people like you that came and have they take two or three years, and some of them, you know, you you really focused on doing it because a lot of people they give up, you know. But at the same time, it has really hold the real estate market. Yeah. So what we see is like we see this huge demand, and we don't have properties because we can't do skyscrapers, as you you said, you know, it's a really to the situation that the city hall, they're really bureaucratic and they, but just to say there's the positive aspect of holding this and it reflects also a little bit the Portuguese culture that you're saying things are much slower and more bureaucratic. To Portugal. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. I, I came here for drugs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was living in Nicaragua. <laughs> oh, sorry, not the law, the civil war. I'm, I'm Canadian originally, came from a background similarly of commercial real estate. Moved to Nicaragua where I developed a hotel and a furniture company. Got to the end of a seven-year chapter there and was just looking for, to be frank, a bit more civility in my life and wanted to, to live that European experience. So I looked all around Europe, did actually a scouting tour where I went to six different countries and about 10 different cities. I got to Lisbon and immediately felt at home here, immediately just felt welcomed into the community. I think I met Julian on my second day here. By day three, I was at dinner parties and just very much felt like I found my tribe that I was looking for. So for me, the decision was very easy. Following that, I went back to Nicaragua for four months, cleaned stuff up, 
tied up some loose ends and then moved back here the, the following winter or the following March, which would have been four years ago now. And honestly, every month that goes by, I love it more and more. Every one of my initial inclinations about the warmth and the charm of the city and the culture just continues growing more and more true with every day that passes. It's been an enjoyable ride so far. I yeah, think- no, I think it's uh, funny you also say that you felt at home here because I think most, even, like from my own situation, I also came here because of work in the beginning. But then coming to Lisbon, it just felt fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Every time you got in the city, the sun was shining. You had views over the river, the water, like these cute little charming streets. And Cobb- really cobblestone, you, like, and, and it's not big, right? You can walk everywhere. Uh, it doesn't cost much. It all makes sense in a way. It's- and I feel that all the people that come here, that you bring here, or people who visit you, they immediately, you can see it that they have that same experience. It's like, oh, wow, I could actually also see myself living here. And I've only had this experience in like two or three other cities where I say, okay, I could live here. But that hits you real hard when you yep. come to Lisbon, right, or to Portugal. I didn't get it so much in Porto, even though a lot of people rave about Porto, but but I did get it in, in Lisbon and, and why I also, with my family, decided to uh, to move here. It's easy to live very well here. Yeah. And and look, I think that there's definitely a, a, a large community of entrepreneurs that's attracted here. And, and my own personal theory on this is that with that entrepreneurial lifestyle, whether it's real estate development, whether it's tech, whether it's now crypto, whether my own personal field is cannabis, you have a lot of volatility in that that lifestyle of, of starting businesses and going through this whole process. But the great thing with Lisbon is that, and Portugal in general, it's it's been here so long that there seems to be this just general pace, calm of stillness to everything where it doesn't seem to matter what's going on in your own life. You walk at that front door, you walk around a couple of the corners, walk down the street and the local baker is waving to you, the, the local butcher is waving to you, the local produce person is waving to you. Page bills. Yeah, and you just feel at home right away. Yeah, so I think... Of course, there's an elephant in the room that is tough to get around and why initially a lot of people also begin to look at Portugal, right? And that is, of course, the golden visa, the NHR program or non-habitual resident, is that the the right name for it? That uh, Portugal implemented in 2013, was it? I think around that time. And uh, yeah, maybe uh, David Jules, you can talk a little bit about that and about what that has meant. Uh, and why people then perhaps in the first place said, okay, why is Portugal interesting when maybe people were looking at Luxembourg, Switzerland, other places that are lenient when it comes to taxation, but then say, okay, you know, Portugal is a nicer place. Maybe not even having been here before, but then it became a potential uh, country to move to. But what what the hell is the golden visa? What is the NHR status? I think just to speak on the golden visa piece, I think the thing that makes the golden, the Portuguese golden visa, the most attractive gateway into Europe is that you only have to be here seven days of the year for the, each year for the five years that you apply and it converts into citizenship. Right. The Spanish visa doesn't, it takes 10 years. You have to live there 183 days a year. The Greece one, the same, the Maltese one costs you like. 2 million euros or something. The Bulgarian right. one's weird. Like, <clears throat> it is by far the most golden visa program to come in on. You know, listening to you guys, I, I'm really proud. You know, it just makes me really proud of my country. And I, it's great, the job I have, because I hear this often. So 
every week I love, I, I hear people coming over and saying this and they're just saying great things about the Portuguese people. And it's one question that I get, you know, people ask me, every three people ask me this question, like, aren't you guys really bothered that we're coming over and we're buying the places where you live? So a lot of people ask me this question and it's funny how the Portuguese, we really, you know, it has made such a big impact of our, on our economic lives in general. And as I was saying, culturally Portuguese, the Portuguese that have been here, we're very accommodated. So it's like, okay, the guy wants to come, he can come, you know, we never got into involved in World War One, never got involved in World War Two. And I think it's just like, we're a really easygoing country. It's fine. They want to come over, come over. We need to go live a little bit further. That's fine. You know, because we have our wine, we have a beer. So we're really a culture that it's a little bit easygoing on, on this aspect. Just a little parenthesis. Yeah, going back to the golden visa on the NHR, it's, yeah. What is the golden visa? Maybe just uh, break it down. Sure. Uh, the golden visa, it's a, a program that was very smartly developed by the government that any person that came over and they could invest 500,000 on a real estate asset. So this is non-EU people. Within the EU, can move freely and move into any country. Exactly. But the golden visa is, is for non-European. Yeah. So uh, that you can have, immediately have access to the Shanghai area. You have to years. invest in the country now. You have to put some money. Now, yeah, let's speak it nowadays after January 1st, 2022. Uh, you either, yeah, there's a couple different regimes for you to apply for this okay. COVID visa. So you can, one of them, you can invest 500,000 euros on a fund, a venture capital fund. Or you can buy a house in a low density place. What is low density? It's not Lisbon or Porto that had been before there. It has to be places that not too many people live and you can buy a house in these places or you can buy in anywhere in the country or the islands. You can buy a commercial space, which means you can buy a pizza hut, a Burger King, which is already yielding at a five or 6%. You can buy an office space or you can buy a hotel room uh, and that is already being managed, you know, so it's, it's called commercial, anything that it's non-residential. So this is possible and you'll still get the golden visa. There's a lot of miscommunication around this and people really don't know about. So you can either go the fund route, you can either buy a house on the low density place, or you can buy a commercial place anywhere. These are the three main important uh, uh, ways to go with the golden visa. So that's almost a no brainer, right? If you invest in a fund that probably has a return, right? So meaning you're going to get your investment back and then everything above that is just a bonus. And then at the same time, you get your golden visa, you could live in Portugal, you could reap the benefits of being a tax resident in Portugal, because being a tax resident in Portugal. One of the really interesting things about the program is who can come in on the visa with you. So you put your primary investment, which is 500,000 euros into a fund. The interesting thing about the fund structures is that one of the issues with being able to invest directly in private residential in the major conurbations is it was driving inequality. And so the Portuguese people were being pushed out of the center, the historical center of the cities um, and made to move into the suburbs. And that just wasn't equitable and was leading to sort of, you know, a degree of sort of social. Yeah, so that's, right? that's interesting or sad in a way, right? Because then, and that's perhaps why maybe there's also a little bit of a polarized view and on the, the, the thing is, it is, Well, it's kind of double-sided, right? Because like the investment meant that for, for the first time, there are coffee shops and brunch spots. 
and uh, restaurants. florists and restaurants and all the other things that is essentially most successful. of catering to people like us, right? Yeah, come in and, and they but they provide a ton of jobs. With, you know, there used to be no service charge here. Right. And then all the foreigners came in and started paying service charge. So people who were waiters and barmen and people like that started to make better livings than they'd made before. The benefit, just to speak to the original point, the, the really interesting thing about this visa is that for the 500,000 euros, you can come in, your wife or legal partner, all your kids under the age of 18, both sets of parents over the age of 65. And any kid that is essentially uh, 25 years or younger that is, that is essentially being kept up by you. So you can same to, same sex marriage. Yeah, yeah. legal partnerships. We were whatever. one of the first countries in Europe also to accept this. It's funny how we're since certain things we're very Catholic. We're very Catholic. We're very closed minded in so many things, but others we're really we're really open. It's funny, yeah. And so to and to answer your final question, which was essentially why is the tax regime so interesting, is because the legal uh, rubric allows for you to register a company in Malta, for instance in which you pay, let's say, four or 5,000 euros a year to maintain your Maltese holding company. All of your income from any of your offshore revenue streams goes through your Maltese holding company and is then distributed to you in Portugal a 5% tax rate the for personal 10 years. Dividends, yeah. For 10 years, you don't pay anything on your personal dividends, right? Yes. So basically, Portugal has gone out and made tax treaties with a bunch of countries, uh, not your typical offshore countries you'll find in the Caribbean or Hong Kong or, or yeah. some of those uh, places, but more like Luxembourg, you know, Malta being mentioned, like European countries, like is, Estonia. Island. So onshore, but maybe more tax lenient countries. And therefore through this tax treaty, you end up paying a lot less tax than you would do if you were living in any other European country for that matter, or the US. And I believe also if you are here on an NHR program, which a lot of Europeans are, then for 10 years, if you qualify for one of the special like interests that the country has in terms of attracting uh, workforce. It could be in tech, I think also in like some other areas. Then there's a ceiling on the income tax, which is around 20%. Yeah, it fixes on 20%. Where I work, I pay 20%. And the, there's two main things that's to mention fantastic. here. One, one is, this doesn't count if you're an American. Because if you're American, you are still paying income tax in the US, yeah. no matter what, unless you renounce your citizenship, right? So that's... Yeah. That's the, the fucked up thing. And then, the, and then there's this yeah, like, that American passport being the best passport in the world uh, has kind of slipped away. Yeah. And then the, the other thing is this idea that if you are in crypto, that essentially all your income is tax-free, and that isn't true. Crypto is not taxed here as well, yeah. Well, it, it is taxed if they deem you to be a trader. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you buy crypto and occasionally sell, then you don't pay tax on it. But if they deem you to be out. It's quite a subjective matter. It is fascinating. I will say like on a whole, the policies here that I've seen relative to other countries that I've lived in are significantly more progressive than I would have expected. Mm. Like even talking about before what you were saying around changing the golden visa program from the real estate side over to the venture capital side. That's a big move because look, I think it's easy enough to look around and see that one of the biggest things lacking in Portugal is capital markets, especially for the startup scene and, and entrepreneurs and, and startup companies. And so to have the government have the foresight to look at this money coming in and say, you know what, we don't need more houses being sold. What we need are more capital markets, but we don't want to necessarily develop that ourselves. We're not really sure how to create the environment to do that other than through this. And then push it in that direction, I, I think is a ton of foresight. 
Uh, NHR, another great program to incentivize bringing capital into the country. And then, you know, again, more personally on the cannabis side and plant medicine side, they're very progressive when looking at how to grow the economy in meaningful ways that create jobs, attract foreign investment without having any harm to the citizens. Do we know how many people has actually used the gold visa on the NHR last year? How many people actually moved to Portugal? Yeah, we do, uh, but I don't know it. Is it I think it's like 50,000 or something like that uh, combined. To Probably, yeah, around the, 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 the number. But these applications less than uh, that. But less than that, okay. Yeah, like less than half. So a lot of people are moving here, and I think yeah. these incentives have definitely triggered people's interest. And that is what is driving, you know, Economy. the the invasion and people taking all their income with them and coming into Portugal, buying homes, going out to eat, yeah. buying a car. Like basically all this money is being distributed throughout the economy, right? Which, uh, which Portugal is experiencing. But of course it has its benefits and it has its downsides as well, right? I think what we are seeing in Lisbon is that as with any other metropole in Europe, Lisbon is now also becoming this place where, you know, the city center is for the rich, right? The privileged, well-educated, the people who have money and all the locals who were there before are getting pushed out into the suburbs further and further away as the prices are going up. Just in the last three years that I've been here, you know, prices have increased maybe 30%, like on apartment, just prices, right? And, and before that, you know, even more. So it's definitely seeing that and therefore Lisbon is changing. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with a couple of those points. I, I don't think the rent has increased 30% over the oh, last Maybe not years. the rent now. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, have you ever lived anywhere where you haven't heard that same complaint? No, that's what I'm saying. Like, even when I was in Toronto, when, when, when I was living Queen West, people were beating their chest going, ah, like this uh. is the exact same story. Nicaragua, exact same thing. Like, but I guess it's just a bit more aggressive or happening faster, right? Because like, I don't know if people, maybe people actually was like stampeding into Toronto too from Cantonese and like, but I do feel that Portugal is really attracting a ton of French people, ton of German people, ton of British people. Now also a lot of Americans, right? And that is going really, really fast, right? So. And the, this huge influx of crypto money and crypto has people. meant that transaction prices on, on yeah. real estate have gone wacko. Yeah, you see so a lot of loners with long hair and uh, Asperger's. Yeah. <laughs> crypto money is the first influx that I've seen where you kind of go, Ooh, oh, wow. Now we're seeing some real like capital coming into the, in, in, yeah. into the city. But also totally distorted. Totally I mean, distorted. Property values. People coming in oh, and, yeah. and buying, you know, just paying double the price for stuff. It's yeah, like, yeah. Kind of mental. But Portugal also getting a lot of heat from the EU, right? Because yes, uh, and from the other countries, because in the past you could also take your retirement money tax free from Sweden and other countries, and that right. was like you know that's for the NHR program. You, yes, you could do that with France too. Within the EU, like flipped out of the other countries, said no, you know you can't just take your money out of the country. You have to pay tax. Where no, they've taxed it. And and now also with the the NHR, like people are coming here. And the other EU countries are saying, you know, no, it has to stop because you can't just have all the people uh, putting their money into Portugal and not, not staying at home. And for all the non-EU people coming into Portugal too, getting access to the Schengen or to, to Europe, and EU doesn't like that, that you can sell citizenship, if you will. Right? So do you think that EU is going to like stop it at some point and say, hey, Portugal, you've, you had your 
your heyday it's, now? It's, uh, so the thing is, the NHR program, it really had that already, a lot of talks about that. So recently what happened, just recently in the past year and a half or so, is that that really the people that are retired, they are now obligated to pay 10%. On the 10th of March, the EU essentially said they were going to end golden visa across Europe. Yeah. As it relates to By real estate. 2025, yeah. As it relates to real estate, right. not as it relates to funds mm. or backing, you know, grants into art programs or anything like that. Okay. So the thing great. that makes. Which, which makes sense. Uh, which makes sense. Yeah. The thing that makes the Portuguese golden visa program the most secure of all of the ones across Europe, as I understand it, is that in order to enable Portugal or essentially encourage Portugal to join the EU. Portugal negotiated its own terms that related to allowing its colonial populations to repatriate back to Portugal from Brazil, Mozambique, Angola, etc. And that's what gives it this sort of special status as it relates to Golden Visa in Europe, which mm -hmm. makes it more robust than anywhere else. But then France and like UK and many other countries, colonies should also have same story. So, but when Portugal entered the EU, yeah. it still had Angola. Mozambique, right? No, yeah, that was in the seventies, though. No? Yeah, but the no, but yeah, we we had them, but we're not part of our colonies anymore. The Portuguese colonies were the last to go in Europe. Really? Yeah. No, okay. Yeah. Maybe yeah. That's interesting. Well, maybe it does make sense. But Portuguese were some of the worst colonial, like imperialists. No, what are they like? I had a blank record. It's difficult to call it a worst. And worst of the worst. I think the Belgians are, yeah. are right up there. Right? Yeah. Also yeah. Leopold is the winner yeah. on that. He gets the gold medal. Well, yeah. You're British or colonial British. So I guess you so did your, your part of world cruelty. But okay. Well, to something much lighter. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why people didn't. I thought you were... No, I'm not using <laughs> Ireland. Estonia, Cyprus, you know, some of these countries, they are shoes in Portugal, right? So they Sunshine. could also get the same benefits in many other countries in the world, but they're coming to Portugal. So let's park the, the tax thing, but definitely it had a big influence. But then people will come here and they see the country and they love it. So let's get back to talking about that, but maybe also a little bit about what surprises <laughs> that you guys had, both good and bad, after moving to Portugal, maybe a... Uh, a top five or a, a bottom five after moving here. I, I kept thinking I'd be getting bored. I, I, I was just waiting for the day to come where I go, oh, okay, okay. Finally, the glass is broken. I see it now for what it is. Now I like have my exit date here. Now I'm like, okay, okay, another three to five years and then I'm going to be ready to move on. It's been my pattern through my whole life. This is the first place I've ever been. We're like four years into it. I'm like, this is fucking great like I have, I have like zero desire to to move it on it just keeps getting better yeah every time yeah. i leave even when i come back i'm like oh thank god i'm back like yeah. i'm in between two fantastic trips well, well one to marrakesh that i just got back from one where i'm going to colorado i don't want to go and i'm glad that i'm back from the last one yeah. like I, I i spent january february not going anywhere and just felt so happy that whenever i'm on the ground here I'm content. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cannabis is fantastic. <laughs> Doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. I'm sure the weather for me, like Denmark is 300 days of clouds. Mm. 
and here it's 300 days of sunshine, mm. right? The, the, just stepping out of the airport and the sun is shining, mm. it's a beautiful bluebird day. Mm. That, but like, that just changes you like consciously or, or, or subconsciously that like if the sun is shining, you feel fantastic. Mm. So number one on my Portugal top five, definitely the weather. The weather, yeah. Yeah. proximity. Proximity. Air, airport's 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Two hours Close London. Two hours Beach is uh, New York. Beach is 20 minutes. Like from yeah. the European yeah. capital city, Beach is twenty minutes, yeah. right? It's like, it's crazy. Uh, I, I, I just got invited to a friend's it's birthday that, up in Nice. I was like, oh, I can't fly out there for a weekend. The, the the flights are like ninety euros return. But also, there's just like the connectivity, like flights. You can fly everywhere from 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 Portugal. Maybe it's too good to be true, since Top is always going bankrupt. But it's always easy to get to. So yeah, that is number two on the top five. You can walk everywhere. You can walk everywhere. Culture. There's hills though. Big There's one. hills. But that's so good for you. But that's, yeah, it's good. And you don't really mind it because it's just, a, it's, it's a charming days. walk. The walk is, is, is pleasant, right? So, it's so I would say you can, it's a small town. It's not too big. It's not your London. Which is really like an hour, women. hours to get from one to uh, there's a lot of old, really old women that hang out of windows. That hang out in windows. Mm. Yeah. Maybe that's not in my top five. I think but, it's, uh, top it's in Jules' top five. Yeah. Okay. What else? What's uh, what's the top five? What's the good, best thing about nature? I, I, I would say the, nature's coming the, in strong. The prices of food and wine. Yeah. Prices of wine. You live is a good amazing. life. That's for sure. Yeah. And I, I would say, say that everything cost the thing that it's supposed to cost. Right. right. Like, so it's like you look at it, it's like yeah, you know, that's that's, that's reasonable, right? Or that's even cheap. <laughs> like, whereas everywhere else, it's like, fuck, that's expensive, right? So it does, it just makes sense when it comes it's to money. It's so right? refreshing to get yeah. bills and go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. Really? Mm. It's super safe. So safe, safe. the security. It's super safe. Yeah, 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 yeah. My, my yeah. key's been underneath my map for the last yeah. three years. And number five, the people. <laughs> well, don't, forget the, don't forget the people. Number yeah. five technique is that everything's in Portuguese, which somehow for me makes me feel like I can break the rules. Like somehow it doesn't count. Because you can always play the tourist. Because I'd be like, oh yeah, but I, I don't understand. But also when you get stopped by the police, it's almost they look at you and it's like, oh, he's a tourist. Right? <laughs> so they always have like compassion for <laughs> you even before. Yeah, and then it's like, You've really fucked up. That's yeah. a twenty euro for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, you get like a, a parking ticket for seven euro. One the seven euro parking tickets. I mean, that's just that. That's that's really beautiful. But yeah. the finest, actually, not the seven euro. The finest, the three hours you have to stand in line at City Hall to be allowed to pay for it. Pay it. That's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that's the top five. There's a lot more good things, but uh, there's definitely also the bottom five. <laughs> and okay. usually when you move to a country, you have like a honeymoon phase of three months where everything is just uh, hunky-dory. And then after that, you kind of have a little bit of a dip <laughs> and that dip then usually settles at a certain level. And if that's a higher level than where you were before, you are happy and you stay. If it goes below that, you tend to then say, okay, it's not for me. It's like marriages. But most people then stay because like that new level is actually higher than, than what it was before. But like, there are certain things where you do get that little dip. And one thing I would say now that I've had don't hold back, huh? don't buy, back. Buy, don't hold buying back. an apartment, buying a house and having to go through like permits for, for doing this, getting construction companies, like the municipality and the city and basically the whole government institution of Portugal fundamentally does not work. Like it just takes forever. Yeah, to get anything, and it's to the point. Yeah. It's to the point where let's let's use this example. 
I have a driver's license that broke in four pieces. I had to get a new driver's license. Can't use a driver's license broken four pieces to rent a car. We're now eight months in, right? And I still mm. haven't received my new driver's license. And every time I call, the answer is, yeah, you know what? That service is just not uh, available anymore. Right? <laughs> so it's like, what do you mean? Like, I mean, like, I need, I have, I have a driver's license. Like, do my job and need a driver's license. Yeah, but we just don't offer that service anymore. Like, you can't get a driver's license converted really? in this country. Dude, I'm in the at the, the moment. What, what are you talking about? Like, it has to, you have to offer this. No, we don't have to offer this. We just don't have the personnel to do this. That's interesting because I went to go and get my license. And have you today. received it? No, and they sent me away. Yeah. They're like, that isn't here. No, but that's the thing. They've closed down certain services. Wow. Where it's just like, that's you know, cool. It's where you're coming and for, like, it's just like, you can't close down that service. It's part of like a functioning society. So for sure, like once you come uh, here, you have to have patience and you have to understand that there is a price to pay for 300 days of sunshine, for everyone taking it easy, for all the stuff that's happening, that, that some, like that money that may be coming in. It's just not converting as fast into, you know, public service. And that means that the, all the institutions can't really meet demand, which means that your permit for your renovation, your driver's license, your whatever you need from, from the city, it's just going to take really, a really long time, right? How does it relate to Bali? Yeah. No, so if you go like to Indonesia, of course, I would say like, that's probably also the system, but see, there's a fine line mm. because in those countries you can pay your way through the system, mm. right? Horrible, corruption. <laughs> sure. and, and you used to be able to do that, Portugal, right? So things got done, <laughs> things got done because you could pay your way through. But that also meant that, you know, in your front yard, so you think there's going like to be a the, skyscraper. The, we're we're in like the Engels gap of no, corruption. We're, we're the dead zone. Yeah. When the dead zone, right? <laughs> Where nothing's get done because you can't bribe anymore. There's no, like, you can't, yeah. there's no corruption. Mm. And on the other end, the system hasn't been updated enough for it to actually, you know, be customer centric and meet demand. Right. So you're stuck in the middle where nothing is moving. Right. And that's been the case for the last three years. And, and then Portugal's <laughs> tried to adapt, but it's just going extremely slow. I think, you I've know, got... so a big a thing that I think people are more interested in about paying bills is the dating scene here. The dating. The dating. One, one of the positive I've things here is for... that you bump into people all the time who, you, yeah. you know, you see your community, you like everyone, yeah. everything's great. So it's a little bit like, don't shit where you eat. Which is wonderful. And yeah, and then you break up with somebody like, oh God, now I see them everywhere. And I mean, I haven't actually been single in this city pretty much ever, but my <laughs> single friends, I understand that the market is. Uh, but you could also make an effort to expand your friend circle to perhaps more Portuguese, because I see that most of the international crowd, they tend to stick in the international crowd. Yeah. And that's a little it's, bit sad because there's a lot of cool Portuguese people. For sure. And Thank you just need to do a little bit more of an effort to, to find them and then call them instead of your usual suspects. Yeah, for sure. And hang out with them. And then you probably also yeah. see a lot more of the city. Right? Yeah. No. I think, I think it's, it's, it's a generic feedback though. Like mm -hmm. I hear this from, I hear this from all of my, it's a small all of, it's a yeah, small I hear this from all of the friends. Any, any small Dating's life. hard. You, you bump into the same people. Yeah. So I'm going to call this out, like kind of like the judgification comment in that I, I've just never lived anywhere where people have been really enthusiastic about the dating scene. I've, I've never <laughs> lived anywhere where every girl's always looking over their shoulder. Every guy's in London, you could three people. The dating scene's great. Is it? Yeah. Or two. How, did you, how much love did you I lived find there, when you lived I in lived London? I lived there for 11 years. How many times were you in love? 
in love? Dude, that's the wrong question to ask me. It's completely different. <laughs> <laughs> what does that have to do with it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so coming from a Brazilian culture to a Portuguese culture, we're much more serious. Okay. Mm. So we won't laugh. We won't make friends that easily. We're not very sympathetic at the first moment, but then our friendships, when you engage with them, they last much longer, you know? Yeah. So, but at the first scenario, people are more closed. Their faces are closed. Uh, sometimes their humor can be closed. It's changing a little bit with these new generations, but this is really one negative point and that I think things are beginning to change. I, I've found with people who come to stay, they're very keen to get out into the countryside. And there's an expectation that the countryside is going to offer the same sort of cultural experience that going into the countryside in France or Italy will offer because they forget that this is a very poor country. And so when you go into the villages, you just don't find extraordinary cuisine and, you know, they're dead. There's, there's hardly any people in them. And so that whole like going into the countryside experience is very different, far less charming than being in Italy, for instance. That's for sure. Like that also now that we're an hour south of Lisbon, like this is a different world than Lisbon, right? Like everyone speaks English in Lisbon. No one really speaks English here, like just an hour south of Lisbon. And, you know... A lot of pizza place is closed. Pizza place is closed. There's no <laughs> the, weeds. <laughs> the chicken was 45 minutes before it would be ready. Yeah. So like all these services you might think of is available, but they're not available out here. And also what I recently learned was that the uh, literacy rate actually in Portugal, like 40 years ago, only half of people in Portugal could read and write like 40 years ago. Salazar. Right? Uh, yeah. Like only half. And today it's about 85% or something that can read I'd be curious to know what it was in the, the late 19th century. Yeah. So I bet like oh, it for was sure. but at I mean, that like, same there's, like there's, 80% level. There's 15% in Portugal who can't read and write today. Right? Mm. So that means everyone who's, you know, 65 and above, like many of the, those people who you meet, they may be able to read, they won't be able to write and so forth. Right? So that, you know, that, that will, you know, you have to take into account. But actually, like, even with like that, I still have to find that people, even though it's a reserved, maybe conservative culture, people are extremely helpful. So coming back to maybe a, a, a good thing is that you many times are get surprised of how helpful people are, right? Because we're used to maybe London, New York, Germany, whatever, and, and it's a fast paced life. No one like gives you a time of day, right? Like to help you. And here are people who actually go out of their way to help you, right? Yeah. And you see it from the second you step into your taxi or uh, Uber or you like in a restaurant or a service, like people are just generally very friendly as if it, how it was before <laughs> the tourists came in almost, right? Like, and I hope it's going to stay the same and that's part of the culture. That initial hospitality is fantastic. Maybe then it's more difficult than to make the jump to becoming best buddies. But for sure, the hospitality is there. And that is really, really like just refreshing to see yeah. that we are not always just uh, to, yeah, to sure. look out for what we want. Right. So, so that I really like, but uh, okay. So bottom five, we have to find the bottom five. I think yeah. everything taking time. What about the food? The food has like in the beginning, the food was like, here's the potatoes, here's the vegetables. And here's the fish you can choose. And those three things don't necessarily mix, right? So there's not really any cooking going on. It's basically just preparing each element separately. And then you could have that, right? Slowly more restaurants are coming in. And that's probably because the market is now there for, you know, 
people who want food from all quarters of the world. Really? And, but I still find the Portuguese cuisine to be, you know, fun for about two months. And then after that, it gets boring pretty fast now. Yeah, I think the thing is, I think we forget, like, you know, Lisbon's a, it's a small city, that, right? It's a small it. city. And we have a lot of choice of restaurants in the city. And, but just, and a lot of it's like good food, right? Like it, it's, it's good but, quality, good, good quality, good, really good there's ingredients. No, there's no cooking going on. But no, there, there is cooking going on, okay. but there are, because it's a small city at this point, there isn't yet places that you go, holy shit, you should go to this place. It's fucking unbelievable. Like a right? high-end cuisine. So, but, but that's only because the stage we're at, like in the last six years, cuisine, yeah, but in the last six years, it's changed. Don't you think David, like a lot, like there's so many great new restaurants. It's just, there's not yet maybe a critical mass of like high vibe stuff, right? Like, like if people come here and visit the city and go, where should I go tonight for a great but, night out? Yeah, it's, I'm it's, kind of stretched. Yeah, there's one, there one spot or two. I'm not uh, really sure so. where you should go. So what, what, what great thing listening to you guys is where, like, where would you go? I, I mean, like, I, I could do but you five have, off the top You always go to Crispy Chicken Mafia. You always go to Crispy Chicken Mafia. I mean, <laughs> Crispy Mafia is all time. But no, I mean, Prado, fucking unbelievable. Rocco, unbelievable. Denoy, favorite restaurant in Lisbon. Yeah, yeah, but Denoy, if you put Denoy in New York, for instance, well, yeah, that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, but what city are you comparing to New York? You can take Toronto, a, seven, a city of 7 million people, and, and you can't compare that yeah, cuisine well, to New York. Well, you know, that's, you, that's you sent Denoy, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Denoy is like, what, two years old? Like, two yeah. years old? Okay, so it has happened now that, like, there's food options, but... Like, yeah, what, but, but yeah. I, I, I think that comparing Lisbon to London or New York is just fucking ridiculous. I mean, no, that, that's how you get to unhappiness. It's not ridiculous because giving a comparison, right? Because a lot of the people we're speaking to are people who are coming from those places. So we're right, trying to right, give right. a reference point. Trying to give a reference point. Yes. When yes. you're moving in, in, in general, I don't think that you should compare the mm -hmm. cuisine, the dating scene, anything that you can experience in a city that has like 10 to 15 million people to a city that you have 500 to 700,000. But the people point of the question is, what are the things that are the like five worst things, right? And if, and a lot of the audience is sure. coming, coming from those places. And so mm -hmm. we're just saying, relative to your experience or where you've been before, these are the things and, that you'll and, probably come up short on. And the, that's the thing, though. It's still the relative, too. Like, moving from Nicaragua to here, I got here, and I was like, oh, my God, fucking cafes again. For sure. Oh, my God, restaurants again. Oh, my God, like, all of this incredible food, all these incredible experiences. I have safety again. I've got actual banks. I'm from Copenhagen, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if, if it doesn't have a, at least one Michelin star, then, like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm disappointed. <laughs> no, but I think, I think your point stands, especially in the countryside. Hearing you guys talk about exactly about the countryside, is so it's like just imagine how much we, we still have to grow, you know, and the potential there is for opportunities mm -hmm. here. So, and that always also brings me to, to a fifth negative point. It's like, it's tough to make money here. If you just think about Portugal in itself, it's tough. You have to really come with a European eye. So whatever business you get involved, and I tell this over and over to my clients in Brazil, yeah, I'm going to go there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Listen, we're a small country and we're poor. As, as you said, we're getting better, but the people that with disposable income are, it's limited. So just, just think about it. But as you guys said, you go to the countries, but this, this new era of the golden visa to the low density places, I think it will start bringing these better places to these regions. And yeah, I think it's smart. The amount of space we have to grow here. But you know? I do feel like now, like, 
spending time in the countryside, there's a little bit of a divide. Like the, the young Portuguese are a lot more like forthcoming and in, 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 in welcoming in that sense. Whereas I feel I'm a little bit as an intruder when I go countryside for the old generation, because they look at me not maybe helpful, but they don't speak, uh, they don't yeah, speak yeah, English. Yeah, yeah. That's of course a big barrier. And I don't speak Portuguese yet, but, uh, and but you, sh- like a bike. No, you but, do look like a Viking. I look like, a Viking, so I look like an invader, village. but, but I also have like the, the, I feel their, their prejudice against me. No, it's, uh, it's anyone, me as well, Henrik. So okay. it's your, the look okay. and the energy is there for even you or even, but maybe, maybe it's the old fascist like mentality or communist. So mind you also. There's a lot of communists in Portugal. Everywhere you see the the sign of the sickle and the, hammer, the sickle and, and a hammer, because up until like recently, I think like even Almada wasn't that like the communist party. Caparica's run by Caparica, like, like you know. So we're talking about like you know, mean, five minutes outside of Lisbon. Communist, communist. That is ran by a communist, former communist party. Let me put it that way then. But basically, yeah. but the mentality against any form of for, foreign investment. Or any form of change, basically, right? So, so you see that in the locals, also in the countryside, that people are fundamentally against change. And when they see people like us coming in, you get the impression that you are perhaps so, not so you welcome. You're an outsider. You're an Ricky. outsider. However, when you talk uh, sorry, to the young Henry. people in the countryside, they're very much interested. They're very much there to yeah. help you, and and you make you feel welcome. So, like that is completely different from from like generation yeah i'd actually be really curious in just getting david's perspective on the the communism party situation no, yeah, as, it's, as people it's, drive through the streets you will see those signs up yeah it would sign us it's really important to first of all that from like first of all that yeah uh, yeah exactly that the actually if you want to develop in real estate the best city halls you want to invest are really the ones that have that flag on top the the, the communist ones or the Partido Comunista, which they're the most serious one and the most straightforward and usually the most organized ones. So it depends what you're trying to build, yeah. because that's not true if you're trying to develop uh, luxury uh, residential. Well, yeah. I, my Maybe. mausoleum got approved in five days. <laughs> <laughs> so it really depends. But as you're saying, it, that what what Hendrik experienced, it's true and you present true. Might as well also has happened to me. When I get to these places, I have my. You know, I have my, my shorts that are colorful and I have a, uh, a pair G-string. of flip-flops, my, my G-string or whatever. And then I, I uh, you know, people, they'll, they'll be like, they, it's, 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 it's not a being over informed, but they'll do that look that I know very well, the look that you're referring to, Hendrik. I feel it as well. Look, who's this guy? You know, and we're very sneaky. It's like the old woman that, that Jules is mentioning that they know everything that's happening in their street. You know, their look, the window, the, the look, that's a little bit of our culture. So it, you get that look, but we, we get it as well, being Lisbon people. I think the motivation for all of us being here is to try to contribute in some way to making, to, to be, because we feel very, very lucky to live here. And we feel very grateful to the population of Portugal for allowing us to live here in in you know so beautifully as we do Media and so training. i think the one of the things that i'd love to contribute in this conversation is you know, what would we love to see happen and what advice from a you know from a place of humility would one like to give to help society move forward one of the things that i think is such a shame to see which feels like this great loss of potential is that you see people on the regular arriving here saying i'm moving here to build community 
I'm moving here to move into the countryside to buy all. I've kind of got an idea of doing something like a Soho farmhouse. Yeah. So people coming here saying that they want to move into the countryside, they want to take all of these old ruins that no one's done anything with for decades, right? Or they want to buy up parts of the village that are empty and the roofs have caved in, but they simply can't because the bureaucracy is so stifling Mm. and the restrictions on what you can and cannot build is just so punitive that in the end they sort of go back into the city of Lisbon and just, you know, do their thing. And so if we could change that somehow, that would be amazing because the countryside does need that. But I think actually also it's a cultural barrier because people come with the mentality that they need to have a permit from the city in order to do things, right? Because that's how the world works. But no one ever got a fucking permit in Portugal ever, right? Like the culture here, there's no house in Portugal that looks the way it looks paper at the city hall. It doesn't exist, right? So, so it's just like you're, unless you're doing a big project, you should look at a ruin and then say, "Oh, fantastic! I'm going to build a restaurant here." And then in five years' time or ten years' time, when when the city has finally uh, gotten enough resources to come out and, and take a look for yourself for themselves and see, oh, there's a restaurant here. Oh, we didn't know that. Mm. Right? Then mm. they can stop the process of actually yeah. uh, coming after you. That works when the investment exposure is like a million euros, right? But like when, when people are, when you're trying to deploy like 10, 20, 30 million or something to, to regenerate an area, you just don't take those risks. And that's why it's not, you know, developed the way yeah. it has. But but, could. And, but that's the capitalistic mindset, right? Because mm. you also have to think what is the positive about that is that the country is not, you know, just accelerating so fast that, you know, the whole, char- the whole charm and, and, you know, we're going to end up like the coast of Spain or for sure. south of France or Algarve. Or the Algarve. Like, or the yeah. Algarve within two seconds, right? And then all of a sudden, like, it's all ruined, right? So the fact that it's slow might actually also have its benefits, right? Exactly. Even though it's super frustrating. So I think one key lesson here is that everything takes three times as long as what you expect it to take. Right, so bear bear in mind for whatever project you think of, that's gonna take you know three and times. And then we get it supported. And and for all the your people who who are thinking, oh, I want to come to Portugal, it's a land of beaches, you know, a thousand miles of beach. There is no house on the beach <laughs> in Portugal. <laughs> it doesn't exist. The beach is sacred. You're not allowed to build yes. there. You're never gonna get a permit to build there, and there is no houses for sale on the beach. So even though they have a ton of beach, you're never going to get any permit for that. So Here I'm going to spare you, all listeners who want to come to Portugal and buy a beach house, doesn't exist. So Yeah, no. I must say, when I first moved to Europe, when I was 21 years old, I'd grown up in East Africa. I remember using, in England, using the National Health Service for the first time and spending about an hour at the end of being treated, trying to find out how to pay. For, for my treatment <laughs> and then being told that it was free. And I had this extraordinary feeling that this is what civilization was. The civilization is to look after your people. And it just feels like a really uh, beautiful experience to live in a country where we have amazing healthcare, where you have the best private medical health care you can get for 80 euros a month. Right, that includes like five million dollars of international costs if you get an emergency, where our food chain is super clean, 
You know, there's an organic food market every Saturday. It's soup just straight off the land. No pesticides, no nonsense. But people are kind. I haven't locked my scooter. No toilet paper shortages through COVID. No toilet paper shortages. <laughs> there is no vagrancy on the streets because vagrants are looked after. Where we don't have massive drug problems because drug, people who have drug addictions are treated with care and respect. There used you know, to be a big drug problem. There was, and that's why we changed mm -hmm. yeah. the law. And, that's, and, and so I, I'm saying all this just because, you know, it's important to be sort of critical because in, in some cases, criticism, is, you know, helps an evolution, right? Of, but the reality is we've got it really good here. We, we're a very lucky cohort of people. We travel all the time. I think Mexico City is an amazing city. Then I look up in the sky and realize I'm breathing that air, right? Or I go to New York and I take my girlfriend out to dinner. We take an Uber back and forth and it's $500 to go out for dinner, <laughs> right? Or I go to LA and I order a coffee and it's like, I don't know, 10 bucks or something for a fucking coffee, right? It's just, or I go home to Kenya and everything's so corrupt that I never feel secure because I don't think I'm really on the edge here. And so for all the places in the world, and I've been to a lot of places, this comes first in a few categories, becomes a second in a lot of categories. And when you add that all up together, it's a really great place to live. Here, here. I agree with that. After that nice little speech from Jules, it's time to wrap up this first episode on Portugal. And I think the conclusion is clear. Portugal is shit. It's full of bozos like us that come and jack up the prices, takes and never gives anything back. Not nearly as friendly as the locals, and I haven't even mentioned the French yet. So please stay away and leave this country to the people who are already here. Or maybe this is actually an amazing country that has been kept secret for so long because of decades with fascism, poverty, bad branding coming from British tourists invading the coast. But Portugal is blooming. The nature is fantastic. The people are kind, helpful, and most of them speak English. The food is getting better and better. Everything's still cheap compared to all other capitals around Europe. And combined with low taxes and other financial benefits, you just have a little bit more space in your finances for all the fun stuff. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard, please share with friends or random people in general so they too can waste their time listening to golden nuggets of life wisdom from your host, Henrik Silmer. Join us next month for another episode of The Honest Podcast.